Now more than ever, it's so important that we foster and develop emotional intelligence. But did you know that needs are closely linked to emotions? And that when we know our needs and the more we fulfill them, the calmer and happier we are? Hashtag 52 Needs is a podcast that provides insights into how we can all make this happen. My name is Angela Heiser. I'm a professional coach and facilitator. And each week a guest joins me to discuss a different human need and how we can all improve and foster our emotional intelligence. Welcome to Hashtag 52 Needs. And this week we are exploring creativity. And I have with me Frank Connolly, who is the principal of De Bono Consulting. He's a master trainer across all De Bono thinking methods and has been acknowledged by Edward De Bono as one of the foremost practitioners of the lateral thinking methods worldwide. He believes strongly that if we improve the way we think, the actions that follow also improve. Frank is an acknowledged expert in systems change, specializing in kickstarting new thinking and innovation. He has facilitated and trained clients across Australia, Asia, and the Middle East with substantial experience in putting the thinking methods into practice. Frank has designed projects and interventions that have not only saved millions of dollars, but that also re-engaged staff and produced new insights that have enabled new solutions to emerge. Welcome, Frank. It's good to see you. Thanks, Angela. Good to be here. A question. You you say that um, you know your projects have and your initiatives have helped people to re-engage. Are people that disengaged, and does create lack of creativity play a role in that? Uh, lack of creativity does play a major role. Um, in terms of businesses, particularly large ones, a large business by definition is a big pyramid. It's a uh, it's a bureaucracy, and bureaucracies are all about control, which is a good thing to have, by the way. But the more control we exert through various substantive grade levels within a business, the harder it is to become creative. So um, unfortunately, a lot of people inside the business have a diminished, not only diminished capacity, but diminished permission to be able to be creative themselves. Okay. Because creativity is quite often, unfortunately, viewed as um, being a risk to the organisation okay. because they don't necessarily understand what will come of it. Sure. So if you're saying it's a hierarchical institute, it's, it's hierarchical and, you know, the people further down are not as creative because they don't know what's going to happen. Does that mean that the people at the top are really creative? No, by almost by definition, the higher level up we go, the less creative they tend to be because of they, they have this and it's not a criticism. They just have this tremendous responsibility for maintenance of control over the rest of the organisation. Mm. Um so I'm speaking in very general terms here, here of sure. course, but the general terms um, tend to stick, whether it's public, private, not-for-profit. A smaller organisation, on the other hand, has a greater capacity to be creative. There's more room for movement. Um, but there's a the question of having the permission to do it, but also having the capacity. So having the, how do I actually think about, think about creativity, creativity? How do I apply it in the real world? And um, a lot of people just lack the tools and knowledge of how to do it. Mm, yeah. Um, that's not to say people are not creative. Some of it, some people are very creative, but it tends to be ad hoc rather mm. than systemized and given a process so we can do it virtually at will. Yeah. Well, creativity is, is also this whole thing of I'll stand in the shower, I go for a walk, you know, we have a brainstorm, we'll just toss some ideas about, but it's a it's a random thing. That's the that's the presupposition. And you can't really manage it. You you can't really create creativity on demand. 
Whereas Edward de Bono's, the, the lateral thinking tools and the six sets, for example, they, you can sit down and you can create a vast amount of, of ideas like that. And people are always, I know that they're always surprised when that happens. But why is there this whole thing of you have to be kissed by the muse in order to come up with a creative idea? Um, look, it, it all revolves to the brain and how it works. It's a very, very tricky organ to manage. Uh, in some respects, and it sounds counterintuitive, but the brain has evolved so that we don't have to think. Yeah. So over our journey, we build up billions and billions of patterns of learning, understanding, knowledge and experience. And we tend to lock those in. And the more we, we, the more we use them, the deeper those channels become, the more likely we are to repeat it, the less creative we tend to be. And what Gabono always refers to is, you know, how do we, what we need is methods to break those patterns. So I, I might share with you a quote that I, that I read um, from a professor maybe seven or eight years ago. Um, and for me, when he said, I mean, I knew what he was saying, but the way he expressed it made light bulbs come on for me. <laughs> so just bear with me. It's only short. He said, this is, a, uh, this is a professor, Bruce Wexler, in a book called Brain and Culture. And he wrote, during the first part of life, the brain and mind are highly plastic and they require sensory input to grow and develop and shape themselves to the major recurring features of their environment. By early adulthood, however, the mind and brain <coughs> have a diminished ability to change those structures. And much of the brain activity is devoted to making the environment conform to the established structures. Mm. And I dropped the the paper that I was looking at and I just sat and I thought for 10 minutes and that just was like being hit with a bolt of lightning. Basically what he's saying, around about up until about the age 25, give or take, um, the world tells us what we see. We take it in and observe it. From about that age on, early adulthood, our brain tells us what we mm -hmm. see in the world. Yeah. Now that's a staggering. So yeah. the more we lock in these structures, the less likely we are to be creative yeah which is why it's so important to change things up i mean people Absolutely. say for example how do i make myself more, not not just open to creativity but also how do i create more flexibility in how to deal with change which requires creativity and i say well start with going to work occasionally on a different route um, have something else to a lunch to eat go and find something different you know, go home and, and sit at a different seat at the dinner table, shake up your evening routine, try something new, whatever it might be, but move it around. Not so that your brain goes into, oh, this is too scary, but in a way that it goes, oh, there's flexibility around. So that when you need to have new ideas, your brain doesn't go into, oh my God, I don't know this. This is stressful. I'd rather stay, you know, where I am. As you said, my brain tells me what to see. And then we just create the same thing over and over again. Absolutely. So the, the, the primary idea is allowing us, the, uh, giving ourselves the opportunity to see new perspectives. Mm. And you can only ever see a new perspective by getting up and moving and looking at something from, an, from a different direction. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the, the capacity to shift perspective is the great challenge. It's not so much the creativity because the second we shift perspective, the ideas tend to fall into your lap because yeah. we're smart, smart people. It's the ability to shift perspective to be able to see those possibilities, which is the, the really difficult part. Mm, yeah. Or difficult, let me, let me qualify, difficult if you don't know how. Yeah. 
the the you this the saying is generally I um I see um what is it um seeing is believing. So yes. you know, like so if I see it, then I can believe it. But creativity actually says believing is seeing. So if you can dispense with your beliefs and you can say, maybe there's possibilities and maybe there maybe there are possibilities and maybe there are options out there. And maybe not what I'm seeing is the real thing, but what I believe is I can I can make happen. That's when you've got an opening. But a lot of people still operate from seeing as believing. So if I can have it in front of me, then I can make it happen. I, I worked with a group of designers once in Germany and I said, let's create something that that fits the, you know, like let's explore what people will need and then design, design a chair. And they said, no, we can't do that. We need you to tell you, you need us to tell us what is the purpose of the chair? How high has it, does it have to be? You know, all of these things that were parameters were said, that's not creativity. And mm. I went, well, that's how we work. I'm like, okay, let's Start on thinking creatively rather than designing per, per, per um, what's it called? When, yeah. You know, we, when um, and that's a wonderful example of, I mean, I've, I've had a, a held lifelong belief, and everyone's heard this saying, is that you can't tell anyone anything. Mm. If, however, they can see and experience something with their own eyes and brain, it's a very, very different story. Mm. So... One of the tricks with creativity is giving people the ability to step around something and see it from a different perspective. So giving people creative tools is literally like, um, you might imagine the, the, a filter on the front of a camera. Mm -hmm. When you put the filter in front of them, suddenly everything they see seems quite different. Yeah. You've changed nothing, but you've allowed them a different, a different perspective. You've allowed them to see things differently. And when they see it themselves, it's a very different story. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes I think we, we tackle this creativity conundrum in a little bit of the wrong way. We don't empower people to shift and see things differently, and that's one of the primary impediments. But once they do, um, it's amazing what people come up with. Yeah. The, I think the important thing from where I sit, and this is my experience having you know worked with people in, in corporate environments with six thinking hats and lateral thinking is to give permission to actually for people to to be able to express themselves fully my experience is that a lot of bosses a lot of leaders say you can only express yourself in this box and if it doesn't match with the box that i have put in there so i've put around it and you've shifted that somewhere then that's not acceptable so what Edward always says, you know, nothing kills for creativity. Yes, but, or we've tried that before, or no, that's not going to work, or that's going to be too expensive. So people don't really want to go and offer their suggestions because they know they're going to be cut off at the knees. So yeah. do we need to, we, do we need to train people to take more risks? Um, the, the short answer is yes, but I, I rephrase it differently. Um, if the creativity is bounded and carefully constructed, it's not a risk. No. And, and if then it doesn't it's not work, creativity either. Yes. Then it's just like designing a chair according to parameters that have been set, right? Um, you can still be creative without the risk as long as you bound it so it doesn't implode. I mean, from my corporate and government experience, I've met a number of people over the journey that have been branded as loose cannons. Mm-hmm. I've always said, well, why are they lose cannon? He says, because they come up with these crazy ideas. And and, I, and in, in response to that, I say, can you point out in one single instance where one of their cannonballs has landed and done damage? And, of course, you, they can't. It's a standard thing. So in organisations in particular, exactly as you referred, it's 
it's far too easy to say no to a new idea than it, than it should be. In fact, you don't even have to say no. There's a million and one ways of killing it without even saying no. I mean, I've, I've been in rooms where the simple raising of an eyebrow has killed an idea in a flash. Or a sigh. A sigh or a... The, the most subtle of body language yeah. can kill it, particularly if it's a senior person in the room. Yeah. Um, and that's a real problem. So, um, but yeah, you loop. There are, there are tools and processes which you can apply to overcome all of that sort of yeah. stuff. So, um, again, as you said, it's, it's easy to overcome this when it's a democratic process. But as long as we've got this hierarchical thinking <coughs> in place, that when somebody in a senior position raises an eyebrow and sighs, that idea is dead. It's not going to go anywhere. And and again, <clears throat> when we get into this place of saying any idea at the beginning is a great idea, we can always tailor it later and see what comes out of it. Then that's actually a good thing. Um, um, Disney had the strategy where he had three rooms where he did this thinking. So he had one where everybody just got on wild and wacky ideas. And then in, in room two, they expanded it even further. And then in room three, so they moved locations. They, they, would, they would then um, actually tailor it and, and saying, what, what do we actually need to do in order to make that happen? And, and I, I don't know how that exactly worked, but I hope that he always <coughs> set up different rooms because <laughs> you and I both know that creative thinking, when, when you schedule it, you know, every Tuesday morning at nine o'clock in the same room with the same people, you know, with the same muffins and the same coffee and everybody sits in the same place and then they wonder why they don't get any new ideas. So that's, that's, I think that's part of that brain function that you talked about. The more often we do something, the more habitual it becomes. And it's really hard to break out of that. Uh, absolutely. So <clears throat> almost any stimulus into our brain is exactly the same as rainfall falling on the landscape. Mm-hmm. You give them the stimulus and you know exactly where it's going to go in every instance. It's like rainfall determined and we know where the rain is going to run in every instance because it's determined exactly by gravity and the relief of the land. Mm. So we, we need to find ways to break that. So um, and there's a real aversion to the notion of putting people in a room and getting to come up with crazy ideas. Crazy is threatening. But what what the key message which hasn't clearly been passed on is that crazy eyes are really good. It mm -hmm. doesn't mean we're adopting the crazy idea, not at all. In fact, we don't do that. Because the most important thing is we do responsible, good, value-add things. Yeah. And crazy ideas are not always that. In fact, very rarely. But a crazy idea is a pedestal. It's a stepping stone to see other possibilities. Mm -hmm. That's all. So, I mean, a lot of the lateral thinking tools, therefore, help us to develop crazy ideas mm. because having seen that um, <clears throat> and deciding we're not going to judge on that, judge that idea, we're going to move on it. So yeah, that's a real crazy idea, Angela. Can it? We don't say that. What we say is, oh, crazy idea. What would happen if we put that into motion or where would that take us or what would the, what's, some, what's another way we might be able to achieve the same means? And that's when creativity starts because the crazy idea is one of the things which provides the perspective shift. Mm. And we, we seem to be really fearful. So we can always, I mean, there's another old saying, it's not mine. Um, we can, it's easy to tame a wild idea, but it's really, really difficult to do something with a dead, boring idea. Yeah. So we need to be able to value crazier ideas not because we like crazy ideas, but because they're a great stepping 
stepping stone to get to somewhere which adds value for the business, which is really yeah. important. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was just reminded of, by another quote, since we're in, in quote land at the moment, um, of a, what's the saying? In order to discover new horizons, you have to, to let no, let go of known of your shore. Um, and and it's but if, if you just start swimming and you don't know where you're going to go, it really helps to have a boat that supports you in getting there. Yeah. And, and that is, as you said, you know, there are lots of tools out there that help you become or help people become really, really creative without having that sense of, oh, my God, I'm going into crazy land here. And yeah. this is never going to work out because once you let go of that. Yeah, it's a label. It's a belief that anything mm. that is totally new is crazy. When you let go of that and you just go into place of curiosity, which we have as children in abundance. And then as adults, we just got nah, nah, nah. I'm not really curious about that anymore. That doesn't fit anymore. Then, you know, the only thing we're going to do is create the same thing over and over again. I mean, I remember Gillette when they had this, they spent millions of dollars on research after they had their double blade and they wanted to find out what people really needed and did all of that. And then they came back and they had three blades. Yay. And I think they have four now, don't they? I, look, I can remember advertisements from my youth where you'd actually get like a graphic of one blade coming down against the skin and you'd see it past the skin and there'd be some hair left. Yeah. Then they'd introduce the second blade and the first blade would take off most of it and the second blade will get the rest. And then you think, well, why three blades if two have already done the trick? <laughs> uh, but look, um, most innovations, most things which are genuinely new and, and most new ideas are, if they're not in accordance with our own particular patterns of learning and past experience, we have a tendency to reject. Yeah. And that's a safety function we've brought with us from almost caveman days. Yes. If, if there's something we don't understand, or and another factor is if it's not invented here, we have a tendency, not always, to reject. And that's a real danger. We need to be able to embrace them. So <clears throat> things like um, most major... <clears throat> turning points, innovations that are initially mooted are, are generally disregarded. Mm. The thing to really be cognizant of when that happens is the people disregarding them are supposed subject matter experts in the field, yes. the smart guys in the room. So, you know, um, the notion of a, I remember a few quotes, I've got them written somewhere, I don't know where they are now, but um, I remember when one of the first telephones was introduced into into the United States and a mayor got up and said, this is a wonderful invention. And he was a visionary and he said, I can envisage the day where every city in the world will have one of these. I mean, it was, and the, the Beatles, guitar music was on the way out. And yeah. we have a tendency to kick to kick back on on new things. Mm. The ability to to be able to say, okay, no, let's let's hold that. Let's see where this takes us is a really powerful one. And as I said, you know, in large organisations, um, it's really stifled. But it, important to note, it's not only stifled top down, bottom up also, because a lot of change initiatives fail um, because the troops in the organisation don't want to buy into what the senior people are trying to do or change. I mean, that's common as too. So. <clears throat> I'm often caught out, so you, you know, you're always critiquing people. You say they're bad, I say, no, I'm not that. It's not a critique. It's just a, an acknowledgement of what actually happens in the real world. So, but you mentioned something before about 
it's really difficult to say people we need crazy ideas um but we don't always just say crazy ideas in any field we focus them up we say people we need crazy ideas in this particular area we need to provide them with a focus mm -hmm. uh, most innovation i mean almost all to be honest but most innovation programs in organizations that i've seen have tended to say right people we're going to be innovative we're going to do this we want all your wonderful ideas then suddenly whatever system they've got is is inundated with 3,000 ideas and it's utterly overwhelmed and nothing happens as a result of that. Mm. Well, you've just killed innovation in, in you yeah. know, tri-sphere. Because if you ask a person for an idea, you have to pay homage to it by at least giving it a try or giving a thorough explanation as to why it's not going to work. Yeah. So... <clears throat> Well, it's, it's what Edward called, um, the you know, the difference between an area focus and a purpose focus. And if you don't define either of those, you know, you're going to be in trouble. If you're just going, let that's then that then it becomes crazy. And then it becomes crazy making. Because uh, you can't really battle. give feedback. Yeah, half the battle is our big supercomputers we have sitting on our shoulders. <clears throat> Receive an idea. Someone comes to them with a problem and we spit out a response straight away. Yeah. based on our past knowledge and, and we think we're right in every instance so <clears throat> we are brilliant problem solvers but our issues were really seriously um solution oriented mm -hmm. we go for the first pattern match solution based on what we've experienced and we spit that out yeah well I, i've found over the journey that most programs projects interventions that go pear-shaped in government and in private industry go pear-shaped right at the start of the process. Mm -hmm. They're defining the problem or the opportunity they're trying to address and they get it wrong. Mm. So I, I, you know, this is a guesstimate, but I would say 60 to 70% of all projects that come in over time, over budget, or just go right off the rails, that's where they go wrong, right when they're defining mm. what their problem is. Yeah. So there's some serious, um, <clears throat> and that's our brain tricking us into the into thinking that we know everything and spitting out a response and and it, it's a brilliant way to be too with simpler type of issues because yeah. it keeps us safe if we had to stop and think of what to do when we're walking through the zoo when the gorilla escapes then we die so we bring that programming into the modern world and it doesn't suit anymore mm. so one of the key skill sets that we we focus on irrespective of what um what type of thinking methods we share, it, the first, the top of the list in every instance is problem definition, particularly mm -hmm. the area focus and the purpose focus that you just mentioned. Yeah. And for me, and this is my background in, in leadership <coughs> and intelligence, I always find it useful to tell people, be prepared to be really uncomfortable. When you're really uncomfortable, that's a good sign. It means your brain goes, that doesn't make sense, or I don't really want to go there. That means you're on the, you're on the verge of discovering something new. But because it feels uncomfortable, the brain wants to shy away from that because it's not part of the, the habit that, we, that we've mentioned before. So learn to be comfortable with uncomfortable, being uncomfortable, and you will, you will expand your ability to come with new ideas considerably. But yeah. people go, oh, that that doesn't feel right. And then you again, you got the social interaction in there, you know, the pleasing or the not rocking the boat too much, anything like that. And then we get we get an idea. Yeah, let's turn one blade into two into three. Yeah. Different people have um, the other thing is different people have different tolerance levels to ambiguity. Mm. Yes. 
So if something is quite not on there straight and narrow, you can tend to lose them straight away. Yeah. Other people will embrace this. Yeah. This difference, if you like. <clears throat> so one of the ways, one of the ways around that is to say, people, what we're going to do today is we're going to apply this process and we spell out the process. Mm. And when they know what's coming mm. <clears throat> in terms of process, they can follow it. Yeah. And if they're super resistant, and, and they tend not to be once you've given them given them a schema. If they're super resistant, the associated peer pressure in the room tends to keep them on track. Mm-hmm. So ironically, um, <clears throat> some people will tell you, oh, creativity is the domain of, you know, the great thinkers and, the, you know, the Leonardo da Vinci's and the, this, that mm-hmm. and the other. No, it's not. Creativity is the domain of the people who can apply the process properly. So I've always said um, <clears throat> that when training lateral thinking around the place is, look, if you give me half a dozen anally retentive, process-driven, linear thinking public servants and put them in one corner and give me a bunch of fantastically creative people who we all over the journey have admired for their creativity, um, mm. you know, the Da Vinci's and whatever, give me half a dozen of them. And we're going to train the public servants in lateral thinking methods and some critical thinking methods. They will always, in 100% of instances, produce more ideas than the creative thinkers. It sounds like an outlandish statement, but that's the fact of the matter. Mm -hmm. So creativity can be a process. And if you want your people to be creative, give them the process. Mm -hmm. Um, People often say when you're going into an engineering-based organisation, oh, creativity... We're all engineers. They're not going to go for that stuff. And I say, mm. nonsense. They will eat it up mm. because what we're going to do is give them an end-to-end process and an engineer sees that and they get it straight away. Yeah. Yeah. So I've found some of the more creative people when using the process are engineers and people of that ilk. Yeah. So there's a lot of misconceptions in this place, which is, which is perhaps the primary reason why the, the uptake of creativity in organisations is not nearly what it should be. Yeah. Okay, so have the tools, be, be a bit daring and just go for it. That would be my summary. And uh, again, change, change the way you look at things and just it's just a, it's an attitude. It's not something where you go, oh, creativity is something. I'm not creative. Let go of that label, learn the tools and then start playing with it. And the more you play with it, the easier it's going to become because your brain is going into that space of, oh, yay, this is fun rather than this is scary. Um, I I worked with a couple of, um, with an organisation two years ago now, Mm -hmm. and they had two ladies who worked in their admin procurement area, and they were both in their early 60s, and they're both close to retirement, and the CEO said to me, will I bring (coughs) these ladies into the group too? I said, absolutely, bring them in. And we gave them a process, uh, a particular thinking process, and we said, go and trial this. And the boss said, you've got my absolute permission to trial it. Within two weeks, they'd put a proposition to their boss, which actually saved the organisation over two hundred thousand mm. dollars, just like that, because we gave them permission and we, but we gave them a process which they could use, which bounded it and made it safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, major outcomes can turn on the head of a pin. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely the head of the pin. Um, we have another another example where I was, I was fortunately there and witnessed it. We had a group of 
Um, I'm trying to not give away the organisation. I, I may as well. It was in the in the in the justice field in the corrections area, mm-hmm. and um, they won't mind me sharing this because it's a big accolade for them. They in in Victoria we have 13 different prisons across the state, all pretty well operating as islands to some extent. And inside each prison is a massive kitchen. Mm-hmm. And those kitchens pump out three meal, meals a day for the prison population under tough, tough um, conditions, um, minimal budgets, et cetera, et cetera. And we asked for permission to take them, take the managers and their, and their second in command out of their kitchens once a month and take them to one part of the state where they could collaborate together as a community mm-hmm. practice. Yeah. We asked that twice and twice permission was denied by the leadership. Um, in the third instance, he went back and said, look, please let us take, because they said they're going to go, it's a waste of time, it's going to cost us too much to backfill their positions, we're short staff as it is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're all familiar with these arguments and, and they, they're, they're fairly reasonable arguments. At the third pitch, we said, look, what we're going to do, they're not going to waste time in the meetings, they're going to be productive, uh, and they're going to come up with new ways to drive your kitchen and make an add value and, and save money, increase revenue, et cetera, et cetera. And we said, we're going to train them all in the six thinking hats on day one. That's it. Um, and eventually we got permission. So we took, they all went to Beechworth. So anyone who's been to Victoria, Beechworth's a, Beechworth is a lovely part of the state, good to visit. So we went and did the work up at Beechworth Prison for the day and we all went down to the Beechworth pub that night and we're sitting around one big table having a counter meal. And just in, this is general discussion. So you don't always have to apply a full process. In general discussion, one of them started talking about a milk levy that they were paying to the federal government. And he just a throwaway comment, he said, I don't know, why, we're a state government organisation, why are we paying the federal government money? And um, someone else said, uh, look, I've asked a question and I got run through the ringer and when, when they asked, when I asked the question, they demanded to see all the invoices. So if we did this, if we took this back and tried to question again, you'd all have to go and pull out all your invoices, you'd have to do this. It's going to be a heavy job. Mm. And somebody at the other end of the table said, do you know what you just did? And they all kind of looked at looked him and said, and he said nothing. And one other person on the table said, yeah, you just went straight into black hat thinking. Mm. And when he said that, they all said, all right, okay. What if we did do this? They popped into yellow hat mode. Within 30 days, those kitchens had $350,000 rebated back to them into their ailing budgets. Um, oh, sorry, 350000 that they no longer had to pay this year and 250000 back in. So 600000 on the head of a pin. Wow. Simply from a simple thinking structure about looking at value before we critique not to say we don't critique, we still do, and we do it heavily, but we look at the value first. Because when we critique first, we lose any sense of value. And quite often we kill creative ideas before they happen. Yeah. Well, I think that's the importance. It's, you know, as you said, um, things turn on the pin of a head when we look at opportunities and look at what, what is actually possible before we look at what is not possible. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to finish. Thank you so much, Frank. And see you next week. Thanks, Angela. You've been listening to Hashtag 52 Needs with me, Angela Heise. These podcasts are not created to provide answers, but to invite you to explore your own needs and discover what works for you. 
Find out more about my coaching and emotional intelligence programs by following Into Possibilities on Instagram at AngelaHeise.com and at my YouTube channel. And I'd love it if you shared this podcast with your friends, work colleagues and family. And I'll see you next time.